Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome back to the Hardline podcast, where we embrace all conversations to do with women's rugby. Um, the spotlight for grassroots rugby every two weeks. I'm your host, Lisa Ware, who I'm fairly, fairly new to the game, so please, please be nice to me. Um, I'm so fortunate this evening to be joined by two guests. Mara Taylor, 2017's RPA Player of the Year, with over 100 appearances for England, including four World Cups of one who have won, which is amazing current player coach at Saracens as well. We're also joined by Jess Bonyard, who is coaching in Huddersfield, editor of Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine and host of the Women's Rugby Coaching Podcast. Welcome. Firstly, Tamara, welcome to the Hardline. You've got an amazing rugby CV and what better way to top it off than winning a World Cup. Um, It's something I'm sure we would all love to have on our CVs. Inevitably, you would have started somewhere. Can you tell us about how you took up rugby? Yep, so um, I've got a brother who's two years older than me and he played rugby at school. Um, I went to a bit of a random one, but I went to a boys' school that was just uh, accepting girls. So they were only really set up for like traditional boys' sports. Um, So they had the the, like football, rugby, cricket type stuff. So I sort of knew that rugby was a thing there, but I didn't really know if I was allowed to play it. and then my brother played, so I watched him for years and years. Sorry, that's the dog clapping <laughs> <up> his ears. <laughs> um, and then at 15, um, at Henley Rugby Club, where my brother was playing, they started a women's team. So I literally saw a poster and was like, right, that's it. Dad, you need to take me. You take Jason, so you've got to take me. Um, and I didn't really stop from that point onwards. That was me for how many years it's been now a lot (laughs) absolutely absolutely and you recently or not recently but you've also transitioned into coaching as well and that's been a big part of the last couple of years for yourself how has coaching grassroots level rugby developed since you started playing and how do you find a difference between delivering the coaching against the the standard of the women's game particularly at grassroots that's a lot um so I I did a degree at uni and I did a bit of coaching at uni so I helped um, coach the women's team after I left and then got a part-time job coaching um, with it was the RFUW actually at the time and I was doing some teaching and a bit of coaching Um, and then I got like a proper role um, as a community rugby coach so my kind of playing and coaching career have sort of held hands all the way through um, because coaching allowed me to have like a flexible timetable which meant that I could train as well um, rather than your traditional nine to five job where I felt like it was worse having to train at six in the morning and ten at night or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of why I I started coaching and probably it was it was littered with some very old school types of of coaching and coaches Um, 
there was a bit of a, well, this is what we've done in the men's game for how many years. So this is what we'll just do with this bunch of women in front of us. Um, so I think probably I was fortunate that I hadn't come from that traditional stereotypical environment. Um, and I wanted to coach the way that I wanted to be coached. So all of my kind of sessions and what I did, um, I knew that I wanted to join in with them as a player as well, even the tough ones, because you've got to do horrible tough sessions as well as a player. Um, so I think probably what I saw from the coaching side was a lot of drill-based, not many games, a lot of a lot of female players being told to do something, but with no kind of context to it. Mm -hmm. And those sort of like run at this pad, fall on the floor, present the ball. Um, and actually that's not what rugby's like. It's very chaotic. It, the picture doesn't always look the same and there's definitely no one holding a pad. Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's come a long way. And I think that's, that's credit to the coaches that have come into the game and gone, actually, we don't need to do this how we've always done it for the boys. We want to be better coaches and we want to coach these girls and women in a better way. Jess, have you experienced that from your side as well through your coaching career? Yeah, I think when you, because I transitioned, I was a grassroots player, um, played rugby at university. And I think when I transitioned from being player to coach, obviously there is a point where as a coach, you're just sort of replicating what you were taught as a player and how you were taught it. And then at some point you find yourself at a, at a point where you've run out of ideas. So you have to come up with your own original content and your own original philosophy. So when I first started coaching, I was doing things purely because it was the way, like tomorrow said, the way it was always done with me. And then when I ran out of ideas, I suddenly thought, well, oh, crumbs, I've now got to come up with my own content. And that's when I started to develop things and sessions where I was having fun, not just the players were having fun. I think it's really important that the coach has fun in the session as well. So I'm often laughing and, and, and cracking a joke and the players are having fun and everything's just enjoyable. Fantastic. And touching on that point, um, Tamara, that Jess just mentioned, how, how has coaching um, affected or changed the way that you now play? You, even though they, you sort of said that they run hand in hand, do you think coaching has given you a, a better appreciation for playing or vice versa? Uh, yeah, I think you have, to, you have to know a little bit more as a coach in terms of like, you have to be spot on with the laws. You can get away with it as a player. Um, knowing what you can and can't do because you can hide amongst the rest of the team um, but you need to know from a coaching point of view um, definitely the laws and I think that then helps you as a player and also a bit of an appreciation of what everybody else on the team is doing so you, I'm a forward but I've coached the backs as well when I've coached teams so I know as a player that actually that winger out there needs this kind of support because I've had to coach them and I've had that conversation with them as a coach um, so I think it definitely helps in that sense. You've got a, a better appreciation of all the kind of moving parts rather than you might just get as a player kind of siloed into your position and what your job is there. Absolutely. And tell us a little bit more about some of the community rugby programmes you've, you've been involved in and where you see the RFU's resources best being used within the women's game. Gosh. Um, so as a, as a community rugby coach, any, everything from the All Schools programme, um, which is basically taking rugby into schools, state schools that didn't have rugby before, and that was for girls and boys. So I've been to some really different schools where the boys and the girls have never seen rugby before. They're very football dominated. Um, and they've probably been some of the best times in terms of getting the girls into rugby because the girls have never had an outlet like that before, and they absolutely love it. 
Um, so those kinds of projects have been brilliant. The Inner Warrior as well. Um, again, just just getting women to have a go at something. You know, as women, we're sometimes a little bit rubbish at that. Trying something new. Um, so those those campaigns kind of firsthand as a, a coach I've seen. Um, at the moment, I'm now in the coach development department. So we're kind of looking at um, the sort of three tiers, if you like, trying to get new female coaches in. So people that maybe don't have the confidence um, because they feel like they don't know enough technically about the game. So we're trying to reach out to those sorts of, um, of women, basically, and get them maybe on our England Rugby Coaching Award, um, that sort of support. Uh, or we did a Mythbusters webinar um, a week or two ago with a referee and a coach in the community game just to mm -hmm. say, look, you might think it's going to be like this, but actually it's like this. And even if it is how you thought it was, it's um, it's not as bad as you ever think it's going to be. So that, that kind of get new people in. And then we've got some we've got some really good high performance coaches qualified at the old level three and four. So they're now the advanced coaching award and the performance coaching award. Um, and we're looking at different ways to support them. There's a few of them working in the women's premiership at the minute, which is brilliant. But then how do we get some more of those highly qualified coaches, those kind of little extra bits of tactics of, of potentially shadowing environments and they can go in and be like, oh, okay, this is what it's like to work in a high performance environment. So that's in our plans at the moment. Fantastic. And Jess, you started as a grassroots player and then transitioned as a coach. Tell us more about that journey of becoming a coach and, and any challenges that you faced whilst was going along the ride. Yeah, I sort of um, fell into the coaching quite naturally, really. Um, and in a way, I, I didn't sort of expect to. Um, and I felt really comfortable in it. So I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't get the opportunity to play rugby as a kid. So I played football. Um, although, you know, if you look back at family photos, I'm often with a rugby ball in my hand at my dad's rugby club. Um, there's famously one as a photo of me as a toddler where I'm like lying on a couple of rugby balls and I was in the paper. Um, so, so rugby was a constant, but it, I didn't really get the opportunity to play until university. Um, I played university sort of rugby, Wednesday league stuff, and then transitioned into doing some um, local club rugby there. And then sort of after, because I was doing two degrees at the time, sort of after the I'd finished my MA, I was just doing some workouts at my local gym and a, a man spotted me in some rugby gear and said, why don't you come down to the local club? Um, you know, and I was like, well, I'm not really interested in playing because I'm sort of still playing for, for a club near my university. And, you know, and I, I'm not really sure, but I'm, I really want to try some coaching. Um, and he said, well, come down, try some coaching stuff with the local university side here. And that's all I did. And I became assistant coach um, in the November. And then by the April, the previous head coach was sort of, offering the head coach role up to me. So I'd done like a couple of months in the head coach, in the assistant role, and then I was head coach. So I fell into it really swiftly and quickly, which is not a path that I sort of advised to anybody really, because it, mm. it was a really steep learning curve, but I suddenly felt really comfortable in it and, re and really good in my own sort of environment. I felt, because I'd come from an art practice where experimentation is key. I, I guess I sort of applied that to my coaching and when I ran out of those ideas, I went, right, well, now I've got to experiment with my practice design and what does that look like and, and what's the endpoint and what are the goals? Um, but I certainly wouldn't, probably wouldn't recommend that steep learning curve from going assistant to head coach quite quickly. 
Um, but I would certainly recommend chatting to people because you never know. If you're looking to coach, you never know what opportunities are out there at your local club. Just one conversation at a gym has led to me doing this career that I absolutely love. Wonderful. And obviously knowing a lot about the challenges you face, both playing and coaches, what challenges do you face as a, as a coach when you're managing a mixed ability side? Particularly from, say for example, the team I, I play for, we have such an array of ability, whether it's those who have played at university for a long time, people like myself who have played for a year and a half, and then we have those who are completely coming in brand new. How do you manage mixed ability in a training session? The, the key point, isn't it, is making sure that the, your practice design in your session hits that sweet spot where everyone's getting a little bit of a stretch. And not everyone has to have that the whole of the time, but there needs to be a point in that session where that individual feels a little bit of a stretch and a little bit of a challenge. So if you've got a, a, a game which might be considered more basic for your, for your introduction for your newbies, try and give the player that's a little bit more experienced an individual challenge to them. That might be something that works on their, their leadership abilities. It might be something that works on their handling that they're looking to do or kicking off their non-dominant foot, something that gives them a little bit of a stretch in a game that they might consider not as challenging as the newbie players will. So it's, it's trying to make sure that you consider when you're doing your practice design points where you can give individual challenges as well as team challenges. And how do we, and this is probably one for you, Tara, given your, your experience, how do we identify from that mixed ability group the next generation of England Red Roses? And how do we make sure that those individuals have kind of knowledge and, and understanding that that's achievable to them too? Um, I think part of it is the, the kind of knowing it's achievable bit is knowing what the pathway is. Um, mm -hmm. And in the past, I think it's been quite grey and people haven't really understood how how you can get from playing at a club into that um, England squad. And now it's becoming a little bit easier in terms of, for the for the kids anyway, there's a centre of excellence. So you'd get nominated from your club, county, and then um, into centre of excellence. And they're based around the Premier 15s clubs. And then as you get older, um, it's breaking into those Premier 15s clubs. And that's where the England coaches are looking for the next kind of talent that's coming through so it's either age grade um or there's been players you know shauna brown for example has picked up a rugby ball started playing premier 15s and she didn't go through any of our youth pathway stuff um she was just spotted as a very good athlete um who had those kind of transferable skills that we could put into rugby mm -hmm. so i think for the in terms of identifying um those potential players a lot of it is physical potential but then there's you know, how quickly can they pick up skills if they're brand new to the game? Have they played another sport, you know, like Jess with football? That's very transferable. We want people that can kick the ball. Um, traditionally in the women's game, there's not been a lot of kicking. So that that transition from football into rugby is brilliant, I think, for women as well, to be confident with a foot, a, a foot at their feet, a ball at their feet. Um, and then obviously the general mental side of things. So, you know, are they resilient? Are they coachable? Do they want to learn? That kind of stuff so I think it's the same in, in the men's and the women's game in terms of you're looking for potential and you're not you're not in the women's game looking for the finished article because often those players just haven't had the same exposure to rugby as the boys have. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And Jess, probably more from the sort of the teams that you've been coaching as well. How do you engage with athletes that you see potential in order to make sure that as particularly women are aware that that's available to them? Someone like myself wouldn't be within that ballpark, but I think of girls that I play with and how do you, how do you start that conversation? How do you engage with them? So uh, it's making sure that they know there is a, a pathway open to them. Um, so even if that's through things like county nominations and stuff like that, that that place exists. Or it can be as simple as sometimes if they're brand new to the game, letting them know that there is a Prem 15s tournament out there. That the you know club rugby isn't just the be all and end all. There is a, a structure that sits above that. Um, and it can be just something as well as setting them goals. So if they do want to get there, these are the steps they need to take and these might be the things that they need to work on and asking as a coach, how can I help them achieve that? Because I'm not I'm not coaching at the elite, but if I can help them and nurture them and help them get there and have chats with other coaches and signposts going, I've got this player, she might be worth a look. Do you want to come down and have a look? So setting goals, chatting to other coaches and letting them know that the path they exist, I think is, is really important. Fantastic. And with today's announcement with Club Rugby returning and a little birdie tells me you used to play at front row, Jess, um, with the lockdown sort of putting us into a different game, members um, of the squad are all involved in Ready for Rugby, which is fast-paced and for someone like myself is hideous game to play how have you found changing the style of training to suit people like myself who perhaps ready for rugby is not not suited for um kudos for for doing your research because it is a while since i've, I've put my boots on um but yes i i've played um tight head and and loose head um and I think one of the things I would get across and, and certainly say to my players that are, are in the front row or are in the type five is, yeah, the game can be quite fast paced. Absolutely. But there are development opportunities for you. So it comes back to the goal setting. So what I love to do is to get players to write down their goals on a card. They'll have two cards. One is just for them. It's a goal just for them. If they don't want to show it to me, they don't have to. And the other one is one that they'll share with me. So I'll review their goal cards and try and incorporate that into the conversation. Mm -hmm. So so one lady said that fitness was really important for her. So I, we had a chat around R4R and talked about how that could increase her fitness, but how I could support her in getting that. Because fitness and injury had been a bit of a confidence issue for her. Mm -hmm. So how could I support her in making sure that R4R was a, a good environment where she would get that stretch in fitness that she needed but she wouldn't feel too overwhelmed by it but viewing it as an opportunity to become not just a, a forward that can scrummage and do that really well but how can you be more skillful around the park and tomorrow how I know with the sort of recent lockdowns your training sessions have been adapted slightly as well how have you found lockdown and training uh, it's it's been really strange to go from being a head coach where I had all freedom, you could, you know, do what you wanted in a session and then coming in as um, an assistant coach at Saracens and all of these massive COVID regulations in. So um, we can't have meetings face to face. Anything would have to be outside or on a Zoom call. Obviously, everybody's wearing masks all the time um, and you you forget how much as a coach you rely on people's facial expressions when you're having a conversation and especially in a group and when you can't see anything apart from their eyes um it's yeah it definitely takes away a little bit of that kind of 
human and and the bits that I I didn't realize I really use which is is people people's facial expressions um we've also got limits to the amount of contact we can do so everything is either red amber or green basically so if it's green it's low risk in terms of face-to-face contacts amber a little bit more and then red um, would be high risk in terms of how it's been categorized um it doesn't mean that it is a high risk it just means that you've got you're more likely to put your face near somebody else's face so say a breakdown or scrummaging um and that's limited every session so you can't just do as much red as you want there's only a small amount of time you can be in those zones so in terms of planning especially as a forwards coach you know you want to get all the set piece done you want your lineouts to be contested you want to be able to get people working in and around the breakdown and the ruck area and actually you can't so we have to think a little bit outside the box how we can create scenarios with less people how we can really use those 10 15 minute blocks of of contact to make sure we get the most out of it um it's definitely a challenging time and i think anyone who's coaching in grassroots rugby that little little bit that we were allowed to do um earlier on when we got released and then hopefully when we come out um in a few weeks time and we're able to get back out there again it's just there's so much planning for the coach now which long term i think that's going to be a really good thing because it's making us have to think as coaches but in the moment it's definitely tough wonderful and with the time frames uh, very very quickly we're going to have quite a lot of university coming back on board and freshers choosing their sports it it must be a great opportunity for for young women to discover rugby when they go to uni at the stage how do you think rugby presents itself well amongst the other sports that they have to choose from do you think we could be doing more at that level to get them engaged um my experience of university rugby was brilliant you know you go into that freshest fair room and there's all sports all chatting wanting you do you want to be there for me I want I knew I wanted to play rugby but as I kind of second year third year and I became one of those people on the stall um I just think the kind of the, the people that are coming to uni that have never played before they they want to try something new and if you can get them to a taster session if you can get them to just have a little go 99% of the time they love it because they're open-minded they want to have a go at something new um it's just it's breaking that bit around the contact I think mm-hmm. so having things like red, um, ready for rugby which I know you've just said that you hate the fitness side of it <laughs> um and touch and tag and you know different formats of the game mm-hmm. obviously uh, you know I love rugby for contact but actually I love rugby for everything else that it brings and you don't have to do tackling you can still be a part of that group and a part of that family and play non-contact forms so it's it's a bit around get people to have a go but also let them know that it doesn't have to be people running into each other it can just be as much fun playing touch and tag. Absolutely Jess how do we break down those barriers for individuals who want to give it a go but are, are nervous with the contact side of things? Yeah, it, it can be about preconceptions that people carry. So I've I've been as head coach of the university side here and I've stood and handed out the leaflets with my guys at Freshers and some women will dismiss it because oh, I don't, no, 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 I, I'm not, I don't look, do I look like a female rugby player? Well, actually, what does a female rugby player look like? We come in all different shapes and sizes and that is one of the most empowering things about rugby, full stop, is that me, as a broad-shouldered sort of like 
you know, a size 18 person can put on a pair of rugby boots and, and play next to a size 12 or a size 10. And we can both have fun and both get something out of it. So I think one of the things we need to do is to is to push that body positivity more that it is a game for shapes and sizes. So I think giving universities advice on how to get that across in their marketing, to get that across to female players specifically, is a really great way of doing that. And I always used to sell it in my taster sessions. I'd say by the end of the night, you will have played some form of rugby and it would basically be taking them from rugby netball, a game that they knew-ish, netball, everybody's played it in high school, to some form of touch rugby at the end of the night. And we'd sort of break away that fear and that preconception. But like Tamara said, the first challenge is getting them to that taster session in the first place. Once you've gotten there, they're having fun and they're probably going to keep playing it for life. Absolutely. Just on that point, sorry to cut in, you just reminded me, we used to take, we had this really small girl that played at uni, tiny, she'd come from cheerleading, absolutely loved rugby, and Freshers Week, we would always send like a cross-section of people, the me, I'm quite tall and big, we'd send her, we'd send an in-betweener, and actually that made quite a big difference, because people did say to her, oh my gosh, how do you play rugby, you're so tiny, you're so pretty, That you know, all those stereotypical views. And that did break down barriers for people to go, oh, oh, so you can play. Oh, look at myself, look at you. Maybe I can as well. Um, sorry, I just remembered that. We used to do that on, yeah, on purpose. <laughs> yeah, it's an extremely good point. It's something we touched on in the last podcast, which is actually for, for young girls and, and women getting into the sport, having those visual cues and being us as, well, you guys as coaches as well, but us as players, realising that when we're putting marketing material together for recruitment, we should be thinking about those things and not just posting a picture about a shirt or a team photo, but making sure that it's representative of the players who are, are actually playing in that team so that people can relate to it and then therefore sign up. Um, You've recently started um, a mag coaching magazine, Jess. Uh, I'd love for you to tell everyone a little bit more about that. I, I held on to this secret probably for about six months before I could officially announce it. And anyone who knows me knows I'm terrible at keeping secrets. Like everyone pretty much knows their Christmas presents before Christmas Day. If I've got something exciting to tell, I'm usually like horrendous and I'll share it. But I was I was able to keep this like really close to my chest. I'm really, really proud of that. Um, this is, uh, I'm, I'm so really excited about it and what I think we're we're going to be able to offer to coaches and the conversations that I'm having um, with other coaches and not just improve other coaches that I know but it's also improved my own coaching um, massively and I'm really excited to put that into practice when rugby does return so we are a monthly subscription magazine called women's rugby coaching and what we do is every month we release a, a pdf uh, we've got a podcast as well and that PDF will be filled with like activities, so game zones, skill zones. And it's not just all me. This is filled with community coaches in there as well, saying this is what worked for me at my club. This is how I do it. And these are the developments that I do as well. And then sort of the first half of the magazine will be articles and interviews with people in the women's game. So our first issue, we had two S&C coaches both working in women's rugby that was just chatting about periods mm -hmm. and how coaches can educate themselves and their players about periods a little bit more and how we can break down a little bit of that stigma because mm -hmm. often you know athletes particularly at the high level are having complications with their periods probably due to, to lack of nutrition they're just not eating enough stuff they're eating but they're just not eating enough mm -hmm. so there's a calorie deficit 
but also coaches being aware of the fact that women have a cycle. So sometimes during a training session, we're going to feel absolutely crap. Like areas of us are going to be sore. We're going to have cramps. We might be irritable. We might not be sleeping. But equally, there's some mental health stuff that goes along with that. So my cycles used to be quite bad. I used to feel really anxious with it. So sometimes training would really help. But equally, I'd get really nervous before training as well. Mm -hmm. um so i'd often get there earlier and hit a couple of tackle pads and stuff like that so making coaches aware of that and being able to have that conversation with your players um we've got stuff like coach education stuff stuff for female coaches and one of the things i really wanted to do was to broaden the definition of what women's rugby meant and this is really important to me so often women's rugby when you say that you just think about the players on the pitch but i want us to think about the coaches, the S&C staff, the support staff, anyone working behind the scenes, but then equally anyone involved in men's rugby that is a woman. So talking about female coaches in the men's game, talking about female S&C coaches and just trying to broaden that definition of women's rugby to mean anybody and everybody involved in rugby. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And Tamara Saracens are currently sitting at the top of the Premier 15s, which I'm sure you're very happy about. When you've got Bristol this weekend, what will you be saying to the team ahead of the game? Uh, we definitely need to improve our performance after our game on Saturday against Wasps. Um, they outplayed us. So, we, I mean, we've already had a, a coaching chat as a group to sort of pick out a few bits um, from the game. Again, you only you have your team sessions twice a week, although the game is going in the right direction in terms of professionalism. There's still a limit because most of the players are working or studying. So your main sessions each Tuesday, Thursday, you've got bits of skills in between and S&C and stuff. But actually, we've got to be really concise with the bits that we work on. So a little bit around our forward play, moving the ball, um, which we didn't do very well. Um, and also probably our kicking into space a little bit. We were, we were aiming at people, less space, <laughs> more people. <laughs> and Wasps have got a really good um, back three, as do Bristol. So we need to be a little bit more careful with that. Fantastic. I, I do, I've got one question that's come through. Um, what is one thing any man of any age can learn from women's rugby to improve their game? That's a good question, actually. Um, I think probably that bit around we still tend to think that rugby has to be played in a certain way. And I think when you've coached a team where you've got someone who's brand new doesn't know what they're doing you've got someone who's very experienced someone who's tall but maybe hasn't quite reached their peak in terms of their size you've got someone else who's tiny and you have to think outside the box you don't have to have your second row jumping in the line out and your hooker throwing we used to have our winger throwing in at the line out um, and there's nothing to say that we have to do things the way they've always been done there's a set of laws it's obviously, you know, the sportsmanship side of things that you would do, but actually there's so much more creativity we can put in. And I think in the women's game, sometimes we've had to do that. Um, and the men's game maybe hasn't, and they've just kind of kept on those lines. So yeah, I'd say have a look and see how we're maybe a little bit more open-minded to things that we can do differently. Jess, would you agree? I, I'd, yeah, I, I would. And I think from a coach's perspective as well, to try and get if you're coaching a, a group of men, try and get them to ask questions in, in training when you're explaining something to them, rather than getting them out of this, I've told you what to do, now go do it mindset. Actually, 
some of the most beneficial learning moments for people is when they're asking questions and engaging within a group. And I don't think often men's training sessions are provided the space to do that. So if I was a coach in the men's game, make sure you're putting time in your practice design as a little block question going, this is the questions I'm going to ask. You know, I want other people to ask questions so that we can find some learning moments in a group huddle rather than just going, tell, now do the game, and then we're going to something else where I'm going to tell you what to do, and then we're going it again. Actually make sure you're giving space for your players to reconvene, have a chat with each other, and process the game and to learn in a different way. So it's extremely important to have that feedback loop. Massively. Brilliant. And I'm going to round things off, and I've made you both aware of this question. So I guess I'll start with you, because I know you've been thinking about this. Who's your grassroots rugby unsung hero and why? This is, um, it's not just one person. They're a, they're a group of people because I've probably coached them the most and I've had really positive interactions with them. But that is mums that are new to rugby. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're inspiring because they're coming to try something completely different and new to them and they're scared, but they're, they're taking the courage to find time for themselves as well as do everything that they have to do at home and at work and their crazy lives. Mm-hmm. But they're finding time for themselves. And then they're they're a bit timid, they're a bit shy at training, but you get to watch them grow and take them on this learning journey where they don't just have confidence within the game, but they develop confidence within themselves. And they become, I've seen people that are new mums rock up learn the game and essentially they become superheroes and I've seen them tackle harder than anyone else on the pitch and I love to be part of their learning process because I have so much fun coaching them and I get to see their confidence grow and I think it's you know we need we need more new mums coming into rugby because they they get the the most benefit out of it it's just wonderful to see and your unsung hero tomorrow so I'm gonna name um, mine is a guy called Graham Sykes. So going kind of on your point, Jess, about the kind of wider circle around those women's rugby teams. Um, he's been probably everything at DMP. Um, he was the groundsman at the old ground. He did some team managing stuff. He would get up with his wife at six o'clock in the morning, cook bacon butties for us to go on our away bus trips. He would sort the changing rooms out. He would wash the kits. He was literally the like the heartbeat of our team, even into the premiership. He was still in the background doing whatever he could to support the team. And he didn't have a daughter who played for us. He, he's got two daughters and one of them had played rugby previously, um, but she had to have a hip replacement and ended up not being able to play. And we basically took her in under our um, wing as a, a group of players and she was our sort of little mascot. Um, and she's now become the volunteer team manager at the at the at the Sharks so last year that's what she was doing to help out um and I think yeah probably him he never got as much thanks as he needed to get and he did so many unseen things one of those people that um yeah if he didn't have stuff just wouldn't have happened fantastic fantastic thank you both so much for being on the podcast um I will leave the conversation there and guys we will see you in two weeks on the headline thank you bye Thanks, guys.